Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Welcome. Happy opening day, by the way. Colorado, home opener for the Rockies down at Coors Field happening essentially as we speak, about 10 minutes till the uh, first pitch. 31st opening day in team history. We'll talk a little bit about them later, but the part that I think is a little more important right now as opposed to the last place Rockies opening at home is the fact that the Denver Nuggets are the top seed in the Western Conference, Sandy. You, you want to ever know how good the folks are in Vegas. Yesterday, you and I were a little surprised that the Pelicans were favored over the Grizzlies. <laughs> they were favored over the Grizzlies. They were a six-and-a-half-point favorite. They went to overtime and won by seven, <laughs> knocking the Grizzlies out of you the opportunity. You are aware, of course, that they did almost the impossible, the Pelicans, last night. Mm-hmm. They were up by five with ten seconds to go yep. and blew the lead. Yep, I actually looked for Rodney Rogers to see if he was around. Yes. <laughs> Rogers, of course, the, the uh, was like I won't even begin nine seconds to go uh, through <laughs> all of the details that uh, enveloped the Pelicans in the final ten seconds of the game that caused them below a five-point lead. But the interesting thing about that, as Warner Wolf, the uh, famous TV anchor, baseball voice on ABC back in the day, used to say. If you had New Orleans minus five, you lose. (laughs) So they're blowing the five-point lead, gave them a chance to win by more than the spread during the overtime, which they proceeded to do. So the people who bet on New Orleans actually were quite pleased that the game went to overtime. Yeah, yeah. Because they had already lost. That was their only chance. That was it. That was the only chance. And, uh, and <laughs> there you go. But what it means for the Denver Nuggets is uh, they get that little, depending on whatever website or newspaper they're at, a little asterisk, a little letter that points out that they have clinched home field or home court advantage right. throughout the right. conference play. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe in the concept of backing in? We've heard it forever in sports. You win your way in or you get in. To some kind of standing by virtue of someone else's loss. Um, I I think there are degrees to which people back in. I'm not sure that, although it could technically be applied to the Nuggets, that it's really fair to apply it to the Nuggets. First of all, uh, Memphis was an underdog last night. They were not favored to win so new orleans did in terms of the spread more or less what they were expected to do and however the nuggets choose to play the final three games i can't imagine that they would lose all three if they needed to win one they would win one maybe not tonight in phoenix but perhaps saturday night in utah if they needed to win they could and would sunday at home against sacramento Again, they could and would, and who knows? Sacramento's not going to overtake Memphis, most likely, and uh, they don't have to look over their shoulders at Phoenix. They're they're three games up on Phoenix with two games to play for Sacramento and three games to play for Phoenix. So they're secure in third place. The Nuggets could win that game if they needed to win I don't think this is backing in because – 
as you pointed out, that, that there are games left for them to win, in which they only needed one. It's also pretty hard to back in, I think, to the top seed. <laughs> That's more of when you sneak into the playoffs. Uh, like like the year the, the Broncos went 8-8 eight and eight and somehow win the AFC West. You're like, mm, okay. Uh, that that's a little different. Backing in now, we might see some backing in. This is the Dallas Mavericks now have evened up with the Oklahoma City Thunder, who suddenly lost three straight. Now that's how you you back in at the end is another team just falls apart and you sneak in at the very tail end of things. But no, I don't think for the Nuggets it's it's backing in. It, it feels like it a bit because it's such a, a bad performance against Houston. But I don't think they're necessarily backing in now. Of course, they get to know that when the playoffs begin. Uh, where they are 33-7 and seven thus far at home this year. They'll have an opportunity to make sure they have home court for the remainder of the Western Conference playoffs. The second round of that, though, as you pointed out, you spelled out the standings. Likely against the Phoenix Suns. The, teams, they, the team they if will play If they get tonight. past the first round, which Michael Malone suggested the other night, if they was played. not necessarily a guarantee. Well, and it is uh, a guarantee. But right? I agree with you, and it was the subject of our... Uh, podcast with george carl uh, earlier today and again for those uh, not familiar uh we uh, do a podcast uh, bi-weekly with george although we may do more during the course of the playoffs and we'll have george on our program more often uh, during the playoffs uh but uh the show is truth and basketball and it's a production of george's production company truth plus media in partnership with uh, Mile High Sports, and there are various ways you can uh, consume that podcast, and we'll uh, talk about that more a little bit later on when uh, George comes on to visit with us at 3.30. But uh, we we were talking on the podcast with George, and uh, George has some concerns with uh, the Nuggets, uh, maybe not so much in the first round, although uh, he did agree with me that, uh, New Orleans might be troublesome, and he ra- he raised an interesting point about New Orleans. He said at this point it might be better if Zion didn't come back because it would that. result in a changing of roles, uh, different substitution patterns. Uh, he's had a bad hamstring that has kept him out for almost four months, three and a half months plus he can't be in tip-top condition. Now, the word that I got from New Orleans most recently was that he was doing some light, low-intensity three-on-three work. Emphasis on light and low. All right? Yeah. Uh, Didn't sound like a guy would be back in a week, and they will be in the playing tournament. Right. It it, it seems as if they'll be in the playing tournament. It's still tight enough, uh, fifth through eighth that the order could shift some in the final days of the season here. But uh, Brandon Ingram has emerged as a triple-double threat on a nightly basis, and he has added playmaking to his repertoire. He's already an efficient scorer, a pretty good rebounder. He has added the playmaking aspect. He has become a much more unselfish player. So even without Zion, and maybe more so without Zion, this could be a dangerous team. But getting Phoenix, and again, the Suns are locked into fourth. They're pretty much like they can't yeah. slide back, and they can't move up. One of the disadvantages, maybe the only disadvantage of finishing first, is that 
if the seed you have to play Phoenix in the second round if Phoenix beats the Clippers or Golden State or the Lakers or New Orleans, whoever they play in the first round, they would have home court against any of those teams. And they would be favored to win not only in the first round, but they would be favored over the Nuggets in the second round. I think so, too. Is there a way for the Nuggets to use the uh, apparent belief that they are not quite a full-fledged championship contender? Is there a way for them to use that to their advantage as we look ahead to the playoffs now? I, I suppose there is. To a certain extent, when you're talking about the idea of uh, of surprising someone, it's hard to surprise as a heavy favorite. But you know, you've seen teams do it. I mean, for years, the the, the New England Patriots always had this. Oh well, nobody believes in us. Somehow, despite the fact that they had been winning well, I, Super Bowls left and right. But with, it, with the Nuggets, there is some truth in it. I, I'm not talking right. about uh, you know the, the Milwaukee Bucks who have won a championship and, and are far and away best the best team in the league and have been all year yeah. long, saying we're not getting any respect. It's it, nonsense. Of course they are. Especially the big city teams can't play that card. Boston not getting sufficient respect? you got to be kidding. Philadelphia not getting attention and respect? Of course they are. Uh, the, the only teams that I can see who could legitimately make that argument in either conference – I would name Denver as the only team who could say that legitimately in the West and in the East. Maybe Cleveland could say that. But Cleveland strikes me as very much like Memphis and Sacramento. Not quite ready for prime time. Keep in mind, though, Cleveland, and granted, the conferences are different. Cleveland's record is the same as Memphis, which would be number two. That's what I'm saying. And they're two games better than Sacramento. So I, I throw Memphis, Sacramento, and Cleveland into a hat and when I pull out the names of the teams, under Cleveland, I have underlined stability. Uh, more so than Memphis, for example, which of the three is the least stable team, the most erratic. Memphis is literally capable, quarter to quarter, of going from 42 mm-hmm. points scored to 42 points given up. One quarter after the other. Yeah, It's not game to game with Phoenix. You're right. It's not even half to half. It's quarter to quarter. You don't know what you're getting. Sacramento, I think, is in some ways the most dangerous because they have explosive scores, and they themselves have a triple-double machine, much like Brandon Ingram in Sabonis. Who leads the league in double-doubles. Listen, and is getting triple-doubles now. Right. Almost as frequently as Jokic. Yeah, in Sabonis's case and and the the Kings case, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff read about it and the way they hand the they run their offense. It is technically by some of the more advanced metrics the most efficient offense in the history of the NBA. It in is history. It is, and and you watch them play. They've got scoring coming off the bench too. It but isn't it's, limited it's the, to the starting five. There is talent, but it's also the methodology. When Sabonis uh, is on the floor, dribble handoffs are the, are the way they handle right. virtually everything, and it's timed so well, it's so efficient. It is not the same style of offense, but I, I liken it a bit to the old Carmelo and John Stockton Utah Jazz, where you knew what was coming. On virtually every possession, you knew what was coming. It was more of a matter of trying to find a way to stop it. And if well, some one of the other guys got going besides those two, uh, you were in trouble. And so, yeah, I mean, the Kings, the, the, the reason I don't buy into the Kings, though, Sandy, and, and I could be wrong. I mean, look, they average 121.3. That's that's the tops in the West. 
in a season in which scoring is up. And maybe this is one of those years that you can ride your offense to a title. But usually at some point, defense becomes relevant. In the playoffs. In the playoffs. And the the Kings give up 118. Yeah, I'm not concerned so much with the number of points they give up because they play at a fast pace. But if you dig deeper into the metrics, they're they're just a bad defensive team. Yeah, there's no other way. There's no other way to put it. Now, as good as they are on offense, they're almost as bad on defense Mm -hmm. as they are good on offense. So I, I agree with you. Uh, they're a year or two away. I think Cleveland's a year or two away. I think Memphis is a year or two away. Memphis needs to grow up. Memphis has sufficient personnel. I mean, uh, Jackson got 40 uh, the other night. I believe in a game they lost. Yeah, they're good All enough. Right? I mean, So they, their talent sure. is the there. Talent's there. But John Morant is what George refers to as a negative energy guy at this particular time. I, I even think upon his return, if if you've watched him since he's come back, he he's not there. He's not there. And George had some interesting things to say, and uh, we may hear from George uh, here in the first hour. We will hear from him live at 3.30. He made the point that uh, we already outlined on Zion. Mm-hmm. Same applies to John Moran. I'm not sure. Now, he didn't play in the most recent game. He's got a hip injury. Not unusual, given the time he was off, that he isn't in great shape physically. Uh, even with that brief layoff, I, I don't. he doesn't seem to be playing as dynamically. He seems, I, I mean, almost comatose on the floor in relation to the way he usually plays. The other guy, who we all root for because... He's been dealing with some stress in his family life, and who knows how that's affected his mental health. Right. But uh, George suggested that, again, dropping Andrew Wiggins into the Golden State program right now after a six-week absence will probably make Golden State a little better, but a lot better, Will we see the Andrew Wiggins we saw in the NBA Finals who outplayed Tatum last year? No, not even close. Yeah, you wouldn't think so. Not even close. So, yes, Zion may come back. Wiggins apparently will come back for the play-in. And we'll we'll see where John Morant is when Memphis starts uh, participating in the playoffs. It may not be as much of a lift to those particular teams as you might think, as I might think, because I've advanced the idea that, uh, you know, Zion went healthy and fully conditioned, which hasn't happened very often. Right. Is, uh, he's 26, 27 points per game. He's a point forward. He's a great passer. But it, in combining with Ingram, it'd be a devastating combination. But at this point, Zion might get in Ingram's way a little bit in a way that wouldn't benefit New Orleans. So, then, and, and then there's the Nuggets' own situation with relation to health, and we're not totally sure how the Nuggets will play these last three games. Right. We're not sure about the apparent thumb injury that Jamal Murray has been nursing for some time now. And not just something that came up the other night. He's had 
troubles with that right thumb on his shooting hand uh, for a while now. And I'll give you something else, just as a teaser here, and we can talk about this later. The most interesting thing George said today is that the Nuggets have no plans to put in rotation someone he believes would be a solid 15-minute-per-game playoff participant and has been in the playoffs before and is currently occupying virtually the last seat on the Nugget bench. They have given no consideration to playing him as part of the rotation at any point this year. None. Even with some of the injuries they've had that have kept people out. His name is Ish Smith, and George had a chance, actually, a few years ago when he was a head coach of the Sacramento Kings to sign Ish Smith instead of Rajon Rondo. He acknowledges that Rondo was the better player, but was about five or six times as expensive, and he said he isn't five or six times as better a ball player, and he's a big fan of Ish Smith and is mystified as to why at no point this year have the Nuggets considered playing him. And I don't believe they considered playing him even when they signed him. I thought the plan was clearly to, I shouldn't say signed him when they brought him over as part of the trade. It was part of the trade uh, for Will Barton. Will Barton and, and Monte Morris. Uh, I think the idea purely was you have a guy that you know is good in the locker room, which is part of his reputation. That's why he's been around so often. Sometimes it's funny when you run into a guy like Smith who has played for a long time and been on a lot of teams that I think a lot of fans look at and go, well, he must just not be very good. Well, it's not, it's not that true. It's not that complicated. It's and a little more complicated than that. When you're, when you're in your, your 30s and you don't play a lot, but every year you're on a team, that's because a team knows that, one, if we need you, you can contribute. And, two, you're okay with us not needing you, and you're not going to raise a stink, who, and you're going to be good in the locker room, and that's what Smith is better. Who, who is the natural point guard on the Denver Nugget roster at the present time? Pure natural from the, from the traditional style? Yeah. It, Smith might be the only one. I guess Reggie Jackson to an extent, That's but Jackson George's was a little more scoring. Point. Yeah. And, and Reggie Jackson, who also doesn't seem to be playing at all these days, right? even when the Nuggets have injuries, he, he barely gets gets and in there. And look, and, Bones Highland wasn't one either. This, this team no, has one but if you saw Bones Highland play in the fourth quarter open. last night, the Nuggets gave up a talent there. Sure and they someone they could use right now. And I'm not going to go back and rehash the circumstances and place blame uh, at either Highland's feet or uh, the feet of Michael Malone. Uh, it, it didn't work out. My only point, and it's a limited one, is that he would conceivably be a useful player right now. He Certainly. is very explosive. At least with the Clippers, he's cut way down on his mistakes. He was the best basketball player on the floor last night in the fourth quarter in the Clippers' rousing win over the Lakers. It's a huge game, huge game. And the Lakers had fought back from a huge deficit and gotten it close. And it was Bones Highland more than any other Clipper, and I include Kawhi Leonard in that, who slammed the door shut with 11 fourth-quarter points and said, no, you are not coming back. There will not be a finish to this game. This game is over. I'm taking charge. And he was doing what he did here from time to time, uh, hitting 30-footers and finding the open man. He was the best player on the floor in the fourth quarter. The best player in the game was Kawhi Leonard, by far. Usually but is. in the fourth quarter, the best player on the floor was uh, Bones Highland. And, and my point is that the Nugget bench at this point, uh, listen, uh, Najee's hurt again. Uh, Chanchar and Najee can't stay healthy for any significant length of time. Their bench should be made up of Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, 
<laughs> and, there, and then there's the problem. Jeff Green and Ish Smith, in, in my opinion, Ish Smith should be the eighth man. Jeff Green's a guy you use in certain situations, but Jeff Green is not a good defensive player at this point. He's actually a better offensive player than he is a defensive player. Ish Smith, yes, could be, if he were playing 25, 30 minutes a game, could be exploited on the defensive end of the floor. But we're talking about 12 to 15 minutes a game in the playoffs. I think he'd be useful, and as they say, he's been there before. If, if there's ever been a time when the whole Nuggets, uh, Nug Life fan base ever really understands what it's like, it's this. The Denver Nuggets are the top seed in the West for the first time in their history, and all we can talk about is what could be wrong with them? What do you think? The number is 303-831-1340. We'll break mm-hmm. down a little bit more about potential opponents next on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The Denver Nuggets are the top seed in the Western Conference. And while you think that would be cause for celebration, and I suppose it is, there's also some cause for trepidation among Nuggets fans because there is a concern that this team may not necessarily be good enough. Look, they are not the favorites in Vegas to win the West. That is the Phoenix Suns, who, by the way, have won six straight, played the Nuggets tonight. That will almost certainly run to seven. And when you're talking about a healthy Phoenix team, they are going to be very, very hard to beat. And the challenge for the Nuggets, as you pointed out, Sandy, there are a few. One of them is that the scoring off the bench was dramatically reduced when the Nuggets traded Bones Highland. It now, was. It was. They don't have and I'm, I'm with a you. score coming off the bench. There's no point know. in relitigating that. Uh, Highland, y- you're, you're talking about a team that is championship ready, and you had a young guy who didn't think he was getting enough time walk off during the middle of a game, and he lost his teammates. That's what happened, essentially. Not about talent. He lost the team. The organization was given no choice but to not only bench him, but but to get him out of here. So that is unfortunate. And the the attempt... And that was unprofessional. There's no more that needs to be said about that. Uh, He even has suggested uh, since arriving in Los Angeles that while he had his issues... uh, contesting uh, as he did was not the right way to go about it. Removing yourself during a game from the bench, I think he understood was a capital crime in basketball. And that's it. Yeah, you, you, you were done. And so now you have to try to fix that. And, and obviously they tried to add Reggie Jackson in the hope that that would fulfill that sort of little bit of scoring off the bench plus the point guard play. It has not worked for sure as worked with thomas bryant or reggie Jackson. no thomas bryant has not worked uh the, the presumption was that these would both be significantly better additions than they've been so too late to add now this is what you've got if you're not going to get enough scoring off the bench enough consistency off the bench you've got to get more from your starters well it's hard to imagine you can get much more from Nikola Jokic. Uh, it's 
Jamal Murray is dealing with that thumb sprain, but still when he's playing well, he's, he's been playing well. Michael Porter Jr. is having the best year of his career and seems to get a little bit better and more rounded uh, every single month. It's not those two that I'm, or those three that I'm worried about. And I think Porter Jr. has done a very good job of elevating himself to be one of the three guys that I think on a nightly basis you can count on production. But one of them seems like just when um, the nickname was coming around, they might be Mr. Nugget because uh, so well liked doing all these sort of things with Aaron Gordon has kind of receded into the background. I like Aaron Gordon. I, I, I like how he presents himself. I, I like what he represents. Uh, he, he's a very bright, even I would say exceedingly bright young man, very sensitive and team oriented. Best example of that was recently when Mike Malone forgot about him during the last 15 minutes of a game that was close. Just, just forgot about him, and that happens with coaches and players from time to time, and it was not intentional, and Malone owned up to the mistake almost immediately. But one of the reasons the Nuggets got past it is because Gordon took it as an innocent mistake not something that was directed at him in any kind of mean-spirited way. He wasn't being punished. The coach just forgot about him and ended up playing Jeff Green the last 15 minutes of the game. I can't remember the last time any Nugget played 15 consecutive minutes without a break uh, it, it, of game time, of game time. It, 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 you know, it might happen in certain junctures, uh, with Jokic, uh, poor with Uncle Murray. Jeff gets stuck uh, with that. I'll I tell mean, you what, Uncle 15. Jeff is 37 years old, <laughs> right? and there there's no way straight. he should play the last 15 minutes of any uh, basketball game, especially one that is close and a in a high stress game. But to make that point uh, on our podcast, Truth and Basketball, I join George on a biweekly basis, and it's a production of uh, Truth Plus Media in partnership with uh, the good folks here at Mile High Sports Radio, uh, 98.1 and 107.5 HD3. We talked about that subject today when we were discussing the leading nugget concern going into the playoffs. And George made it very clear that the secondary players slash role players in the starting lineup were at the top of his list of concerns. I think the one thing I'm worried about is the secondary players, the guys like Aaron Gordon and... Um, oh, I agree. And the, and even Caldwell Pope was a minus 23 the other night. Those guys, you know, seem like they're mentally fatigued a little bit. Uh, their, their shots are down, their energy is down, their, their desire is down. Um, those guys have to help you win at least two playoff games. You can expect Jokic to be the guy that can win two. But you can't expect your star to win all four. There's got to be some home court, some bench play, uh, some defense, maybe offense. Uh, get a wild card from a, a player that you don't expect to play great. Uh, all those things come into play in the playoffs. And right now, that's wobbly. Wobbly is... It's a pretty good way to put it. it wobbly because it's that's it's, a nice euphemism. Yeah, well, and the, the thing is, it's 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 true. I mean, there this is not a disaster. Uh, this is not a bad team. There is nothing like that whatsoever. It is more of a matter that that this team is just not have the consistency when Nikola Jokic steps off the court, 
And I think at times you've seen Jamal Murray perform well with the second unit when there's a little bit of a mixing and matching. And I think Michael Malone's probably going to have to do that more than he'd like to make sure there is a scoring threat uh, on the floor when Nikola Jokic is not. But to make that work, Aaron Gordon's got to be more aggressive in getting points and not camping out at the three-point line. It's funny, the beginning of the year, our concern was Michael Porter Jr. camping out by the three-point line. Here we are at the end of the regular season, and the worry is Aaron Gordon camping out at the three-point line, who's uh, even has less of an excuse, quite frankly, to be there than Michael Porter Jr., who at least can hit those shots with a a really, really good rate. So uh, Gordon has to go back to being an active player instead of a reactive player. And he has to force the activity rather than let the game come to him. It just doesn't work that way. The, The way he plays on offense that the truth of the matter is he's got to get pretty close to the basket. He's better on cuts. He's better uh, making, you know, backdoor even cuts. Posting up. Anything, even that, but he's got to get close to the basket. And he can't be outside there because the idea of spacing out the defense gets completely eradicated when he's just hanging out by the three-point line That's because they will exactly let it go. The they'll, they'll collapse in there, and that'll be the problem. Over on the text line, 303-831-1340. Sounds like we have one, Danny. Yes, our uh, listener, friend of the show, Roger, he texted in and said, Malone gets mad at the Nuggets for losing in Houston, but he's been the one setting the expectations and then resting everyone, and he expects them to turn it on, just go out and turn the switch. Uh, your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I'll say this, whether it's Malone's intent or not. The Nuggets have to understand that they are not a team that can do that. Uh they're 6-8 in their last 14 games. Uh, hasn't mattered. They're still in first place, much as they have been since mid-December. First place, not just in the division, but in the conference, which is really the only thing that matters, as we know. I don't even look at divisional standings anymore. At least in the NHL, I do, because the top three teams automatically make the playoffs. NBA, that's not the case. You look at the conference standings, one through eight or maybe one through 10 at this point in the season, seven through 10. Those are the playing participants. One through six will be playing best of seven series starting in about nine days. All right. I'm not concerned about that, but what does make me believe that just turning on the switch won't be easy for this particular team is that unlike Phoenix, and Golden State, to be sure, the Nuggets have lost 14 of their last 20 playoff games. Their recent history in the playoffs, and this goes back to the bubble, believe it or not, and the five-game series loss to the Lakers in what was then a Western Conference final series played in Orlando, Florida. And it reminds us all that in the two series prior, they were one Mike Connolly shot away from going out in the first round. They had a 3-1 deficit to overcome both in the first round and the second round. Outside of the bubble, they might do one. Might do one, but probably not both. And then you have the Lakers series. So you had in the bubble, as good a story as it was, Mm -hmm. The Nuggets were down three games to one in three straight series. Came back to win two, then lost the fifth game 
to the Lakers and their season ended. Uh, since then, uh, they have, uh, how should I put it, enjoyed limited success in the playoffs. They were swept out by Phoenix two years ago, and last year all but swept out by Golden State. They got a game here at home and uh, lost the series in five games. Uh, My point being that things happen in the playoffs. I call them strange entertainments, things (laughs) and stress points you don't have to deal with during the season, and a team has to be able to adapt to that, and they have to have – in their DNA, some sense that they can adapt, and it's been proven by past performance. The Nuggets in the playoffs for certainly the last two years have been a failure. So they don't have what Golden State and Phoenix might have, what Milwaukee might have, what even Boston might have. Philadelphia is like the Nuggets, in my opinion. They don't have much positive playoff history to fall back on. So Philadelphia and the Nuggets, to me, are two of the most interesting teams to watch in the playoffs because their seeding suggests they should be successful, um, at least win one series, each of them, at least win one. And yet they haven't enjoyed, even with two of the three or four best players in the world, all that much postseason success. So the burden of proof is on the Nuggets. And without Gordon and Caldwell Pope, playing with more energy. They're not being asked to both score 20 points a game or grab 10 rebounds a game or uh, make plays to the tune of five to seven assists per game. But they're being asked to, one, play defense, and Gordon is an excellent defensive player who hasn't been especially good at that end of the floor over the last two or three weeks since coming back from his injury. It does feel like they're going to need a lot more, and that's – Look, it's to an extent, it's also, you look at it and think, maybe is that un- unfair to ask that you need that much more? Well, it, it is and it isn't. The reality is this team's bench is, it was hampered by the choice for Bones Highland to just check out of being a Denver Nugget. And that happened, and I think the team did the best trying to deal with it. The moves they made clearly at this point have not worked out. It seems unlikely that they will work out. And so you're going to have to make do with what you've got. And I just, I look at the Nuggets and I, I said this a few weeks back. I, I, I got reminded of it because uh, actually it was cut from the show. We, they shared it on the Mile High Sports social media account that I said this team is ripe for getting eliminated in the second round. That's before I knew it might be a healthy Phoenix Suns. I feel the same. I, I'm just unconvinced that they have enough to get it done. And... You can look at that top seed, and it's completely deserved. At the same time, we, we mentioned it in the in the, the first set segment a little bit. The idea that the Sacramento Kings are, you know, they're number three. They're having a great year. They're, they have a remarkable offense. Their defense, when you talk about the, the field goal percentage they allow, the only team that's worse is, is in the entire league is San Antonio. They allow, well, they, Sacramento's trying to win games 125 to 120 right. every night. And you know what happens? You can rack up a bunch of regular season wins that way. And then the playoffs hit, and you don't stick around that long. And the concern that I have with the Nuggets is is much the same. Because if all their guys are not hitting, if they don't play very efficient basketball, and if they're not a little lucky from time to time against good teams, they find themselves in situations that they often should not. 
And you're able to extricate yourself from that when it's the Spurs or whether it's, you know, teams you play like the Pacers or the Wizards. But now when you're going to face, when you're facing the best of the best, that's going to be a problem. So how does this team find a way to keep themselves out of these tight fourth quarters, that these self-inflicted wounds that better teams aren't going to let off of them? We'll talk about that next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The, the rare uh, two-hit wonder, spin docking. Yeah, one-hit wonders, everyone knows that. We get two. Two and never any other ones. Of course, spin doctors. Anyway, the, the Denver Nuggets are the uh, number one seed in the West, thanks to uh, the Memphis Grizzlies' loss to the Pelicans last night in overtime. We're talking about the Nuggets' prospects, and and yeah, right now, maybe because it's the uh, the, the feeling that they they backed into that a little bit, especially given the really bad, given the situation as bad a performance as they've had all year against Houston. But there there are concerns about how this team can compete for an NBA title. Our phone and text lines three zero three eight three one thirteen forty, and we have a text coming in, Danny, that you thought was interesting. So please go ahead. Yeah, we've been talking a lot about Michael Malone and the coaching, the rotations. Uh, this text from Vinny. How badly do the Nuggets miss Wes Unsell Jr.? I am of the belief, and again, I'm not inside the locker room, obviously, but I am of the belief that Michael Malone, during his time here, has listened more to Wes Unsell Jr. than he's listened to any other assistant coach. And part of what concerns me is that I don't know that there is an assistant coach currently on the staff, including uh, David Adelman, who sat in for and Malone. When won Malone his first couple coach. games, right? And, and, and I thought did very well. I thought he had a calm demeanor. I thought that was what was needed at the time right. when you're replacing your, your head coach. You need somebody who's calm, not jumping around on the bench, going crazy and waving his arms all the time. But I'm not sure there is an assistant coach to whom Malone goes for counsel. Um, I, I thought the relationship with Connolly perhaps got a little stale toward the end, so I, I I don't mind the fact that Calvin Booth is there and seems to be his own man with his own opinions yeah, and Immediately and made a trade that Tim Connolly would not have. Right. So Right. And you know. I, listen, that involved the man about whom we spoke a little while back, Will Barton, mm-hmm. a, a trade that Tim Connolly never, you're right, never would have made. In fact, the surprise to me was that Barton didn't get traded to Minnesota. Yeah, quite right? frankly. That yes. Is, it, but Booth said, "No, we'll we'll train him to Washington, and we'll and we'll get a fair deal out of it." And I think it was implied that it was sort of addition by subtraction that Barton wanted to be a big star here. He certainly wanted to start when he was best suited. Again, as that instant offense guy coming off the bench, 
you could live with his uh, erratic shooting coming off the bench, but as a starter, you needed a steadier player than Barton was the last few years here in Denver. But in any case, I I think the point is uh, well made and without being an expert on internal organizational dynamics, I I think that that could be an issue uh, during the course of the playoffs because I don't know that you have a player and I'm not talking about the quality of a player. Jokic is arguably the best player in the world and has been for the better part of three years now. That, that's an arguable Absolutely point, is. but yeah, of course. I, I feel comfortable advancing. It's like saying you like that bird over Magic Johnson. Whatever, you're not yeah, really whatever, wrong. Whatever. <laughs> you're whatever. fine. Yeah. Whatever. I don't know that there is a player or a person in the organization who would be inclined to challenge Malone and suggest alternatives. And and listen, uh, some of what makes Greg Popovich a great coach, and, and certainly this was evident during their championship years, which went on for about 15 years, yeah. on and off, they were champions from 1999 all the way up to 2014 with Similar cast, not identical, obviously, 15 years apart, but but similar. And Hall of similar. Famers on, right. on most of them, yes. Right. Exactly sure. right. And and Kawhi Leonard was on the 2014 team. He was the best player, and he's a Hall of Famer, in my, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. and they, oh, Kawhi yeah. Leonard, when he is healthy, and he seems to be healthy now. They're not load managing him all the time. He's one of the five best players uh, in the NBA. I But... I'm not sure there is a player or a person within the organization who can suggest alternatives. Not not even so much talk to Malone, but suggest, hey, why don't we try it this way? Uh, and with Duncan and Popovich, Duncan would would be the salesman, right, of Popovich's program mm-hmm. more than Popovich would, and obviously. Duncan helped because he was a Hall of Fame performer and one of the great players of all time. If there were an all-time first, second, and third team, he might not be on the first team. I think he'd be on the second uh, or the yeah. third, though. Yeah, and it's a, okay. might, it's a might not be on the Might first. not be. <laughs> you know, he certainly has uh, the career accomplishments mm-hmm. that that would put him in, in consideration, and it's a matter of how you define all-time teams and so on. Uh, to me, Tim Duncan is one of the 10 or 15 best players who ever played. But that wasn't the value, especially as the years went on, that he brought to the Spurs. The value he brought was that he could sell Greg Popovich's program to the other players. And I'm not sure the Nuggets have someone quite like that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that is sort of tough to say if they have that. There, there certainly isn't. In in Jokic's case, the, the way that that has kind of materialized as he went from being sort of an interesting prospect to one of the best players on the planet is the fact that there was a humility with Jokic in that that not every player comes in with. And as a result, I think his earnestness rubs off. I mean, you, you, you can see it if you're watching if you're watching a game. You can watch when Jokic at times will grab a whiteboard and, and draw things out for the teammates. Mm-hmm. 
on a, on a timeout, and the guys are glued. I mean, they're not. Oh, sure. They're not arguing about it. They're like, and I, good for Malone. He, he's talking. Listen, let's let Jokic let's tell us give what we're Malone supposed to do. Credit where That's credit not, is due. Not every due. coach is okay with that. Right. Malone allows that, but I'm not sure. I'd say that Jokic is in a position to approach Malone and say, "Hey, maybe we'd be better off doing things this way." And I just don't think it's in his personality to do so. No, it isn't. I think he's more than happy to forward. Uh, the the overarching strategy, and I think in game he's more than willing to maybe step up in game. I think we've seen that at times. You haven't seen him arguing with Malone, but you have seen it, like we talked about. Malone's willing at times to literally give Jokic the whiteboard and run a timeout. Uh, so I think in game Jokic is more than happy to speak his mind. But I'm just not really convinced that in between games I, I can't envision Nikola Jokic walking up and saying, "Hey, I don't really think this is a good plan." If you thought about playing X player more, if you thought about moving, the, I just don't see him doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just not the personality. And I don't think anyone else on this team has the standing to make that play. In the playoffs, I think you need steadiness. And, and there's the reason that you have to like Nikola Jokic because performance is like a metronome. True. But it, it's one of the reasons that y- you you wonder about Caldwell Pope, who hasn't played not just recently, but for the last month or two, in quite the same way he played in the first half of the season. And by first half, I mean what little there was of October basketball, November and December. He was better then than he is now. There may be reasons for that uh, that are perfectly understandable uh, that would be more easily identified by someone who's around the team on a day-in, day-out basis. But I'm comfortable making the assertion I think it would be backed up by the numbers that he hasn't been as good in January, February, March, and so far in April as he was in October, November, December. And I would say the same thing about Aaron Gordon. Mm -hmm. And at this time of year, maybe one or two guys coming off the bench can sort of plateau, flatten out. But even those guys can't be trending down. And if it's a starter... Even a secondary player, a role player, a complementary player, you need Gordon playing close to where he was during the first half of the season where there were nights, not every night, but there were nights in which, next to Jokic, Aaron Gordon was as good and as effective a player as the Nuggets had. I challenge anyone to find a game over the last quarter, maybe even the last third of a season, in which you could say Aaron Gordon was the second-best player behind Jokic tonight. Or the second-best player behind Murray or Porter yeah. tonight. Yeah, and I don't think you could find such a game. And if you were to ask people, including, let, let's say, Charles Barkley, you know, last year and even the beginning of this year, talked about the Nuggets as being a dark horse for the title, and one of the guys that, in the national media that got on early, the argument that most of those people have made is that the Nuggets' starting lineup is four deep in star caliber players and they're going to have to have that. And, and right now, and and, and it, it's, it's, it's not piling on Aaron Gordon who at certain times this year has looked really good. As a matter of fact, well, that's what when, I said. The first yeah, half of the yeah, season, when, there was nothing wrong. And I would the, say the first two thirds of the season, basically there was nothing wrong. Yeah, when the he All-Star has break, gone through some injury right. woes and he maybe for that reason, 
he's still not and he's in his game is based healthy. on explosiveness, and, and so that's right. the first so thing if injuries. He's lost of. that, then he becomes more of a perimeter player. He becomes less effective all around at the defensive end of the floor, and you have the Gordon we saw for the first year or so after the trade. He's kind of a passive player. Uh, not irresponsible by any nope. means, but you need something more. You you don't need him to be a star per se, but he's got to be capable of delivering like a star at least once or twice during the course of virtually any playoff series you play. And he's not playing at that level right now. And Caldwell Pope, again, but nobody expected him to start and be a star in no. the backcourt, that was going to be Murray. No, and I actually think on the whole, he's he's had a, a, a good year. He's I had think. a good year. I think he's but done what I, he wanted him to do. I was especially impressed by him early, not so much recently. And in the absence of a true point guard in the starting lineup, he comes the closest, and I see him more recently as a guy who takes low-percentage shots and is not really involved in the flow as a playmaker at all. And he, I, I don't even think his defense is as good here in recent weeks and months as it was during the first half of the year. What do you think? The uh, call-in text line is 303-831-1340. The Nuggets, if, if Aaron Gordon needs to step up, we know that. Well, we know that Jamal Murray's fighting through a sprained thumb. How much is that effective? Does it change his shot selection? If he's supposed to be the Nuggets' number two guy, how much does that put them at risk? We'll talk about it next at Mile High Sports.